Okay, wasn't that a video so beautiful? When Denise sent that to me, I literally just broke down crying. Like, it was, it just moved me so much, and I love it. And hey, these are like little pieces of the master right here. (laughs) That's my husband and my four kids, their spouses, the 10 grandkids, the dog kind of gets a little bit, (laughs) little bagels in there. And uh, as you can see, I have a pretty uh, exuberant family, a little feisty family. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got um, the grandkids. I have a couple of firemen and a couple of mermaids and a couple of fairies. And I call them dirt fairies because yeah, they're usually outside playing in the dirt. And they love to garden. They help me in my garden and in uh, their mom's garden. And uh, they, they're cute little dirt fairies. Maybe some of you guys have some firemen and mermaids and fairies in your life. Maybe, huh? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, you know, I love, you can see this, my youngest daughter kind of in the middle with a long braid. She still likes to play dress up. <laughs> She's 30 years old and she still loves to play dress up. Like we love, like we love playing dress up as, a, as well they were growing up. And, uh, you know, I loved playing dress up, you know, putting on costumes when I was little. Maybe, did you? I'm sure you did. What girl didn't love doing that, right? Um, I loved it. Um, when I was little, we lived in Los Angeles and um, pretty close to Hollywood. And my mom was a huge, huge movie buff. And um, on the weekends, she would take my brother and I into Hollywood um, to see a movie premiere, usually. And um, at the time, this was the late 60s, and at the time, the streets of Hollywood were aligned with hippies. I mean, it was the height of the hippie um, culture and, and time. And um, okay, and I, I was like six, seven, eight years old around those years. I was obsessed with hippies. Like, I was that little kid that would trail behind mom, like, (laughs) I studied them, I, like, listened, I watched, I, like, wanted to transform myself into a little mini hippie. You know, people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up, Cher? And I'd be like, a hippie. (laughs) As if it were something to be, right? (laughs) My mom would just be like, oh. Um, when I got a little bit older, like in junior high school, uh, the series Charlie's Angels had just come out. Okay, so I know I'm dating myself, but I don't care. And, um, and so like once a week, right? It's not like how things are today. Once a week, you have the chance to see the new episode on some whatever. I think it was like Friday nights. You know, I hurried up and eat my dinner, hurried up, take my bath and get on my pajamas and then plop down in front of the TV, turn it on with the channel changer and just wait for Charlie's Angels. Come on, because Farrah Fawcett's character. I was like, oh, I want to be her, her character. You know, she was the quintessential uh, California girl. She was the sweet, sporty one, right? She skateboarded. She played tennis. That Christmas, I asked for a skateboard, right? Learned how to skateboard. I, that summer, I signed up for tennis lessons, and I actually kept up with that for a long time. I can personally thank Farrah Fawcett's character for how, teaching me how to skateboard and to play tennis, because I love both those 
those things still today. And okay, a little bit older. I'm in college now, 1982. And the movie Flashdance. Now, don't go home and watch the movie, okay? Don't do it. I was not saved. Um, but the lead character in that movie, okay, she was a welder by day. The end of her shift, she'd throw off her helmet, take off her big welding jumpsuit, and she was dancer by night. <laughs> I went and saw that movie ten times just to study all her looks. <laughs> you know, and I was an aerobic structure in, in college, and so I'd like pull on my tights. At the time, we'd wear leotards. It wasn't like workout clothes today. Tights and leotard. And, you know, and my leg warmers and my cutout so I shared. <laughs> and I rocked that look in college, man. <laughs> but underneath all those costumes, all the attempts of transformation was just a young, impressionable, vulnerable girl who longed to be loved, accepted. I wanted to feel like I belonged to somebody or something or a group of people. I don't know. I longed to know that I was significant, that I was seen, I was heard, I was known. You know, and that's what was underneath all those attempts and all those costumes. Um, But, you know, looking for acceptance and significance and security apart from God can do a lot of damage to a soul, as I'm sure some of you know, right? It's at the root of all kinds of destructive behavior. Um, as I got a little bit older, I, had be- I began to think that all those needs that I felt um, would be fulfilled by getting married and having a family and starting, you know, filling a home of my own, building a home of my own. And when I was... Um, 21, I think I told you, I had met my husband who I would marry, and or the man who I would marry, and um, we, we fell in love, like, hard and fast. I mean, within one, the first month of going out, we were already talking about starting a life together and, and getting married. Um, and also, by the end of that month, I was pregnant. And um, I was actually super excited, and, you know, I just thought, well, here it is. Here's the beginning of everything I've ever wanted, right? And then, uh, but my husband was not as, or, you know, boyfriend at the time, really, was not quite as excited. It wasn't the way he saw, you know, his future going. He, He wanted things in a certain order. That wasn't the order. And he wanted me to have an abortion, and, um, and at the time, you know, I was, like I said, 21, I'm not saved, um, and I just didn't have the moral fortitude, you know, and I definitely didn't have the emotional strength um, to say no, to try and do something on my own. Um, and I feared losing him. And bigger than that, I I didn't realize at the time, but as time went on, I realized what I was really fearing is losing this hope that I held in finding those feelings of acceptance and belonging and security and significance in the husband, the kids, the home. You know, I hung all my hopes on that. And so I had the abortion. And it was the single most devastating thing I had ever done. 
um, it really uh, had a tremendous impact on my soul. My soul was damaged by that. And, um, and it was really hard for me to move on from that. I had done a lot of terrible, hellish things growing up that somehow I was able to walk past and just get o- like think I was getting over and carry on or whatever. I couldn't carry on from that. Like it really left uh, a mark on my soul. And um, we eventually did get married a year later. And um, we started a family right away. And it wasn't long before I found myself with everything that I had hung my hopes on to fulfill those things. I had a wonderful husband um, who worked hard. Um, I had two beautiful little babies. We, we were blessed with a new home. Well, I was filling up that new home. And it wasn't it. It wasn't enough. A man started giving me attention. I had an affair. More devastation. You know, the old me was ruining the new marriage. And um, the same old behaviors were showing up, you know, still a liar, still a cheater. Same old behaviors were just following me into this new marriage. Like It was like, after that affair, my husband had found out, you know, what was going on. I mean, talk about a devastation to a marriage, right? And, um, and I was just like, who am I? You know, why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, I read this quote once, and it's always stuck with me. I, stuck with me. I read it a few years ago. Um, a Christian man uh, wrote it. He said, the loneliest moment in life is when you experience that which you thought would deliver the ultimate, and it just let you down. And that's where I was at. That was the condition of my life and my soul. I, was, I felt buried under all these things that God had brought into my life. I felt buried under my marriage. I felt buried under the babies, the diapers, the spit up, the laundry, all the responsibilities that comes along with being a mom and a wife were suffocating me, burying me. And that doesn't even include the burden and weight of the shame and the guilt I was feeling over that abortion and the adultery. Um, and, and this is when God sent that new friend into my life and shared uh, the life-changing news <laughs> of Jesus Christ with me. And for the first time in my life, I started reading a Bible. I'd never read the Bible prior to being 26 years old. And, um, and I, what I didn't know about my friend was that she was the women's ministry leader at the church down the street. Isn't God good? And the day I got saved, she literally signed me up for the women's Bible study. That was like in June. They were having sign-ups for September women's Bible study. And guess what the name of the women's Bible study was for fall? Marriage without regrets. (laughs) Marriage without regrets. God is so good when he saved me. He absolutely saved my marriage as well. Um, so I started reading the Bible for the first time. And I just started right in Genesis. And as I was reading along, I realized I had lived a life that um, any t- I didn't think about God very often prior to getting saved. But when I did think about God, I realized as I started reading my Bible, I had a lot of misconceptions about who God is. 
you know? And then as I got through the Old Testament, started getting into the New Testament, I realized I had a lot of misconceptions about who I am right? It was such a tremendous um, discovery to get into the New Testament and like books like Ephesians, discovering who I am in Christ. Now that I'm in Christ, you know, God has, has made me anew in him. And I was discovering I was God's masterpiece, his workmanship. I was discovering that God had a plan and a purpose for my life, right? It wasn't long. Like over that course of the first summer I was saved, literally God was bringing spiritual significance to everything I was doing as a, a young mom and a, a fairly new wife in my home and my, my responsibilities soon. Not kidding. I remember standing at the washing machine not long after getting saved, like folding laundry, just going, wow, this has eternal impact. I got it. I believed it, right? And it was not long before those things that were burying me became blessings. The babies became blessings and not burdens. The marriage became, I got to tell you honest truth, my marriage actually got a lot harder after I got saved because my husband wasn't saved. But I had joy. I had peace. I had freedom because the weight of the guilt and the shame that I had been carrying those years in my marriage was off me, removed. And God told me he wouldn't remember it anymore. So it didn't even matter if my husband was still remembering it and bringing it. I was free. By the way, my husband did get saved. And he's an amazing man. Like I said, we've been married 37 years and I love him to death. And, you know, we're all being in this process of transformation, right? Um, And so, um, yeah, soon all these uh, burdens became blessings. I believed, I don't know, God just helped me by his grace to believe I was just taking him at his word as I was reading the word for the first time. You know, he said in Ephesians that I'm accepted in the beloved, you know, by grace, accepted in the beloved, accepted in Jesus Christ. And I believed it. For the first time in my life, I felt seen and heard and known by the one who matters most, God Almighty, my creator, you know? Um, Knowing Jesus and believing you are who he says you are in him is all the confidence, all the esteem, all the worth you will ever need for a lifetime to try and find those things within yourself, you will always come up short. At some point, I guarantee you will not be enough. (laughs) But in Christ, the one who is enough, you know, we're in his muchness, his enoughness. God sees us in him, not apart from him. And he's enough. Um, he's the significant one and you're in the significant one and that makes you significant in Christ, right? Um, you know, new life is something that God is doing in you and through you. You, be, you are his living vessel of new and his purpose is not to make you look good to others, but it's that others might see that transformation power of God at work in you and be like, wow, God's good. You know? Um, 
workmanship. Ephesians 2.10, it says, uh, for we are God's workmanship. He's created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You're his work of art. He's created you anew in Christ. Um, you are di- uniquely you, but distinctly in his image. You're a piece of the master. Um, and you've been created with both form and function. You're not trying to copy an image now. You're not trying to copy the image of Christ. You've been created in the image of Christ. And now you can't try and do anything to become who God's already made you. There's nothing you can do except believe. Hello, that is your assignment today. (laughs) Believe. (laughs) It's your assignment every day. Do you remember the disciples asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And he replies, just believe. Believe. God has created you with a high, holy, and heavenly call. God's purpose for your life, his highest purpose, purpose for your life is to bring him pleasure. That's why he created you, simply to bring him pleasure. And you do bring him pleasure. He wants you to know that. Um, Your holy purpose is to know him and make him known. It's simple. Know him, make him known. I think that the most radical ongoing work that, that the Holy Spirit is doing in us as his new creation is giving us the mind of Christ, renewing our minds, giving us the very thoughts of God, the thoughts of Jesus Christ. You know, before you gave your, your life to Jesus Christ, Peter actually tells us, I think in First Peter, that we had no identity. But we thought we did. <laughs> right? Because there was my thoughts and Jesus' thoughts. Right? There was, there was Jesus' plans and my plans. There was Jesus' pursuits and my pursuits, right? But when you gave your life to Christ, God placed you, positioned you in Jesus. You've been made one with Jesus. So now there's no longer two separate identities. You know, there's no longer me and Jesus. Now, everything that Jesus thinks, I think. Everything that Jesus plans, I plan. Everything that Jesus pursues, I pursue. What Jesus loves, I love. What Jesus hates, I hate. And this doesn't make me a robot. It does not make you a robot. What this does is save you from a life of regrets, a a life of wasting time. It frees you up to simply love God for who he is, love others for where they're at and who they are, right? And to to relate rightly even to yourself. Um, It also sets us, propels us in that good work, in the God-given good work that he created us for. It sets us on that course and it propels us in motion, giving us momentum um, on that God-given course when we, when we recognize that we're one with Christ, that we no longer live or think or move independently from the one we've been joined to, grafted into, made one with. Okay, that good work that Ephesians 2.10 talks about, God planned it, 
prepared it and provided for it before the foundation of the world, before he even created the heavens and the earth and the universe, before he created you, he actually planned, prepared, and provided for good work just for you, singularly, individually (laughs) planned that work for you. Um, You are significant in Christ because you are a part of God's significant plans and purposes. He made you a part of it. Isn't that tremendous? There's What is more important than that? What's more significant than to have been made a part of God's significant plans and purposes? There's nothing more significant than that, ladies. Nothing. Um, God, you know, God's always wanted a people that would represent him, represent him here on earth. That's why he birthed the church, right? At 1 Peter 2.10, Peter tells us, we once had no identity, but now you're the people of God. He has made you a royal priesthood. You are a royal priestess. He's made you a part of a holy nation, a chosen generation. You're his precious possession. This is who you are. Um, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're a fruit bearer. You're his ambassador. And it's not what we do as Christians that determines who we are, but it's who we are in Christ that determines what we do. Right? Well, we don't work for God. We work with God. What? We're co-laborers in Christ. We partner with God. What an honor, what a privilege we've been given to partner with God in his plans and his purposes. You know, Paul really got this. I mean, he really believed this. And we know this because, you know, when we become a part of God's plans and purposes, we become a part of something that's bigger than us, beyond us. And Paul got that. And we can all sit here this morning and testify that the, the good God work that Paul, or that God gave to God, you know, to, sorry, God gave to Paul, um, was bigger than him and beyond him, right? Um, and, and it's the same for us. You know, Paul really understood this. Um, he said that God was the one who motivated him to reach forward and exert himself in this, this, um, God-given work. Um, And I love that because Paul doesn't say, oh, I was a part of this amazing Bible study group, or I had this fantastic pastor, or I really studied this doctrine. And he doesn't say any of that. He says, God, that heavenly call of God, from God to God, is what motivated him. It's what propelled him forward. He believed Jesus when he encountered Jesus on that Damascus road. Road. He believed who Jesus was on that road, that moment of conversion. And he believed who, who Jesus said he was. And he answered to God's call. It wasn't a call from a pastor, a ministry leader, a mom, a dad, a sister. It was a call from God to God. And you are called the same way, women. You are called by God. He's been, he's given you good God work to do, sacred work of the king. Um, you know, Paul believed this 
so well, so much. He was so convinced by the Holy Spirit that he was able, he no longer identified himself with his former identity. He was able to purposefully detach himself from his former identity, right? We read about this in Philippians. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Well, what was Paul forgetting? He was forgetting some pretty fantastic things about his identity, that's for sure. Things that the world esteems. He was highly educated. He had, he had high religious ranking. <laughs> he had social influence, right? He had some really fantastic things that the world values that he said, I, I have purposefully determined to detach myself from my former identity, He also had some pretty horrific things to purposefully detach himself about his past because he was a Christian hater. He was a Christian killer. He broke up Christian families. And we know how those horrible, hellish things we did in our past, they have a way of like, oh, I can't. I can't serve God. I have no good God work. Like I'm like other people, yeah, but not me because I know what I did, you know? And, and he would have that probably, well, we know that the community remembered Paul as a Christian killer and a home wrecker, you know. So he was, it was God, that motivation from God that kept him moving forward, purposefully detaching, moving forward. I'm determined. I'm going to answer the call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to press in. I'm going to reach forward. I'm going to apprehend that for which Christ Jesus apprehended me. Right? And we need to do the same. Maybe there's some of us that need to purposefully detach ourselves from the good and from the bad and from the ugly of our past. And maybe some of that past was last week, yesterday, 10 years ago. I don't know. But maybe for some of us today, it's a purposeful detaching of the good and the bad. Well, this good work God has for you, you don't have to invent it. You don't have to dream it up. You don't need to go sit in a classroom at a Bible college or come to a conference um, to figure it out. God already chose it. He preordained it from before the foundation of the earth. Now you just get to wake up every morning and walk in it, Right? <laughs> right? Um, Hey, and whether you agree or disagree about who God says you are doesn't change who you are in Christ, right? Whether you agree or disagree and your feelings about who you are doesn't change who you are (laughs) in Christ, but your feelings and your faith are either going to propel you on that course and in that good work, or it's going to derail you. It'll be constantly tripping you up. You're constantly like, you know, starting and stopping on your faith feet, then down on the mat. Hey, we want to be women of God who are mature women of God. We want to be women that can operate, if need be, without validation, recognition, Congratulations, celebration. God motivated Paul. The Holy Spirit kept him going. We're, we live in a culture where it's like we, we think we need to pat each other's backs every second to keep each other going, right? As we grow in the Lord, making God 
our motivation, Jesus Christ, our motivation, the Holy Spirit, our strength, we're going to be able to move through certain seasons where you might be called, part of the good work might be to be like an invisible servant. You know, where you might be doing work like a mom at home, hidden in the laundry room, (laughs) bellied up to the kitchen uh, sink, right? Where nobody sees, nobody hears, nobody knows, but God. And nobody's patting that mom on the back. Nobody's congratulating her until tomorrow. Like, enjoy it, ladies. (laughs) Milk it for all it's worth. (laughs) Because, you know, there's seasons in our life where part of that good, preordained work of God might call us into invisible service where nobody sees but God. And that's enough. Because I believe I'm a significant in Christ. Because I believe when I'm folding laundry, it has spiritual significance, eternal value. Because I believe when I'm babys- you know, watching my grandkids and sacrificing a night's sleep that I have every la- liberty now to enjoy, that I'm saying, well, it's worth it. Because I know they love to hear about Jesus. You know? Um, we... Hey, if we're going to stay propelled, stay on our faith feet, walk in this God-given work that he's ordained for us, we're going to need some spiritual resilience. And I just want to take a moment to talk about spiritual resilience. Um, Do you know what resilience is? It's like bounce back ability, right? It's, It's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's springiness. Um, it's also speaks of a strength of character and hardiness, integrity, right? And we're talking about our faith here and believing we are who God says we are, okay? Our faith needs to have some bounce back ability because, hey, we have things coming at us from every direction, pushing, poking, pulling and we don't have control a lot of times at what comes at us, right? Some things we do and some of us really need to uh, take a second look at the things we're allowing into our life that possibly push, poke, and pull, right? Um, But sometimes we have no control, you know, right? And you find yourself like on the mat, boom, off your faith feet, right? Well, we might not have any control at what comes at us at times, but we do have a choice of how to respond when we find ourselves deflated, defeated on the mat, so to speak. We can either lay on the mat, feel sorry for ourselves, cry to all our friends, wear them out, (laughs) or we could bounce back into God's word. We could bounce back, cause, let our, get back on our faith feet by bouncing back into God's word and beholding Jesus. Hey, some of us need some spiritual resilience. By the end of this day, you're going to need spiritual resi- resilience just to bounce back to your home. Just to bounce back to a marriage, a difficult marriage. Just to bounce back to a home full of teenagers, you know, who think they know who you are when they don't even know who they are. Right? You're going to need some spiritual resilience, some bounce back ability to get back to work on Monday, to deal with the difficult boss or difficult coworker. You need some bounce back ability and difficult relationships. Right? Okay. And then, so I want us to look 
at 2 Corinthians 3.18 because we need more time on our faith feet and less time on the mat. And so 2 Corinthians has been a life changer, equipping a verse for me. And I want to share it with you um, as a means of like, okay, some equipment, you know, here's what I can bounce back into, right? Um, So it says, we all, but we all, Paul says, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, um, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, love this verse. You know, before you came to Christ, we're told that we've, we had a veil over our heart, over our eyes. We, we could not see or perceive Jesus clearly, accurately. We didn't have the capacity to do that. We couldn't see ourselves clearly or accurately either. But in verse 16 of this same chapter, um, it says, but when you turn to Jesus, the veil is removed. That veil of obscurity, that veil that is, it's like foggy. I can't quite make out who Jesus is. So we have a lot of misconceptions, right? But when you turn to Jesus, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. He he makes you spiritually alive. And now when you look into the mirror of God's word, and you behold Jesus with no veil and filled with the Holy Spirit who's given to you to see Jesus clearly, to understand who he is, to illuminate Jesus, to reveal Jesus. When we behold, it says in verse 18, as in a mirror, in the mirror of God's word, when we behold the glory of the Lord, the, the glory of Jesus. What's the glory of Jesus? Like one of those mystical words, right? Bugs, those mystical words. Blah, I've always got to try and find out what, what does that mean? When you behold the substance of Jesus in his word, when you behold his significance in the word of God, when you behold his satisfaction, when you behold the glory of the Lord, believing what you're seeing, it's the Holy Spirit is at work transforming you more and more and more into that same image. That's what's going on. You're on the mat, deflated, defeated. You turn to God. You like get back on your faith feet. You open your word. You behold Jesus and the Holy Spirit goes, sorry, breathe some fresh life into you, breathe some fresh faith into you, reanimates you, encourages you, that is, puts courage into you, helps you believe again, gets you on your faith feet, and then he wants you to run, run on that course that he set before you, get moving, get some momentum on um, that course in the good work that he's given you to do. Hey, we are sitting today in the very atmosphere that God's Holy Spirit moves. This, the air you're breathing, do you smell it? That's, that's faith. That's what you're smelling. You're breathing in faith. You're exhaling faith. It smells good in here, women. It is the fragrance of Christ and the fragrance of faith. And it's in this very atmosphere of faith that the Holy Spirit, we can't see him, but we know he's here. And he's transformed 
transforming you right now. Maybe for some of you, he's changing your mind. Maybe for some of you, he's increasing your faith so you can believe God's truth. But he's at work right now. And hey, I know that some of you are sitting in here going, well, yeah, probably for her and probably for her and for her. And I'll tell you what, like I'm believing it for you. I'm believing all this for you. But you have got to believe it for yourself. You've got to believe it for yourself. So easy to believe it for other women because they're so good. (laughs) Right? They do all the right things. They're the great Christian mom, Christian wife. You see all the fruit in their life and you're like, well, yeah. You know, it's true for them. Um, I'll never forget. um, This was, this is 12 years ago. You know, there's days in our life as uh, God's woman that are very defining days, days that you never forget because it's like your life was changed forever after that encounter with the Holy Spirit. And one of those days for me was 12 years ago, and it was uh, I was just reading my morning Bible reading. I was in the book of Luke, chapter 1, super familiar story, so sped read, you know, right through uh, Luke chapter 1. It's when God sends the angel Gabriel to go and tell Mary um, that, that God was going to, the Holy Spirit was going to put the life of Christ in Mary. And she was going to give birth to the life of Christ, right? And so Gabriel shows up to wherever Mary was at. And he says, greetings, highly favored one. Blessed are you among the women of the earth. Right? Well, because I had like... Went right through that in my reading, and I got to the end of that chapter, and I didn't pause for anything because I know the story. You know, and that's what happens when we think we know it all, right? Holy Spirit sent me back to the beginning of that chapter prayerfully, carefully. Okay, ears to listen. I want to respond. Start reading through when I get to that verse. Greetings, highly favored one. Blessed are you among the women of the earth. And I felt the Holy Spirit like, stop. And I heard the question. Do you believe this? And I was like, well, yeah. Mary, Mary, (laughs) she obviously was a very amazing woman, a special woman, a unique woman. She obviously, she feared you. She was really good, you know. Um, Yeah, and you chose her to carry the life of Christ, to give birth to the life of Christ. I mean, that's a pretty special favor and honor, right? Um, and then I, you know, just tried to keep reading on, but I just felt that presence of the Holy Spirit and sort of that press of the Holy Spirit. Like I didn't give him the right answer, (laughs) you know, but I was really perplexed. And so I stopped, I waited a little bit longer. I'm like, I'm not quite sure what you're getting at here, Lord. And then I heard it share. Do you believe this for you? It was actually a very shocking moment for me because I was like, I didn't even know what to do with that question. I mean, Mary, you know, it felt sacrilegious to even think about being favored like her or blessed like her, you know. And I confess, I sat there and wrestled wrestled with God. His spirit wrestled with me. And I was, I was really sensing like this was going to be a defining moment. It was going to be like, like I was hearing like, Cher, I need you to make a decision today. You're either going to believe this for you or you're going to, you're going to get up and you're going to struggle 
in your walk. You're going to struggle in that race, that course that I've set before. You're going to struggle to keep pressing in and pressing on that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You're going to struggle. You're going to fall. You're going to faint if you don't make up your mind to believe what I say about you right here, right now, today. And so by truly, simply by faith, (laughs) I just made a choice to agree with God instead of agreeing with everything that disagreed in me about that. (laughs) I chose to believe God and to agree with him. And it was a defining moment in my life. It was a life changer in my life. It settled so many things once and for all. And I realized kind of in that season of my life how powerful it is to believe who God says you are. It really, truly frees you from a lot of self-obsessing. Hey, you're never going to discover your identity by looking in a mirror. (laughs) You're never going to have an accurate understanding of yourself if you're letting others define who you are. You're only going to know and understand as you turn to Jesus in faith and look into the mirror of his word and behold him and believe what you see. You know, when we behold Jesus in the, in his word, what we're seeing is who we're being formed into, whose image we're being conformed into. It, it gives us a picture, you know, it like paints the picture for us of like God showing us the face of Jesus. This is who I am transforming you into. It's like looking at the butterfly. You know, we know we're just these caterpillars or chrysalis, you know, but we look at the butterfly of who God is transforming us into. When we look into the mirror of the word, we see the reflection of Jesus. We don't even see, you know, like the things that we're not. You know, the word is great for convicting us for that Holy Spirit. We're very aware of our flaws, of our shortcomings, you know, but Satan spotlights them, you know, and exploits them. People will exploit them. And God's the only one who sees it, takes hold of it, shapes it, molds it, redeems it, beautifies it, brings glory out of it. Um, You know, I want to just end this message with an exhortation. Um, We're a people who are chronically obsessed with the glory of man. (laughs) And we spend so much time, I know I'm not telling you anything that you're not aware of, but we spend so much time beholding the glory of man, following the glory of man, liking the glory of man. We spend so much time beholding the glory of man, scrolling through our text, scrolling through our Facebook, scrolling through our Instagram, and missing the glory of God in the ancient scroll. We follow man's glory, we pursue glory for ourselves, and we wonder why we're so empty as Christian women. Instead of beholding the glory of Jesus and being filled to overflow with wonder, with worship, with inspiration, we're beholding and worshiping the glory of man and wondering why we're not filled. It's a fine line between impressed and inspired. And I want to just really press in and and challenge you today to begin to discern the difference between being impressed by somebody and being inspired 
by somebody. To impress means to apply pressure to imprint. Applying pressure to imprint, to produce a mark by pressure, like branding, right? To, to produce a mark by pressure. Inspire means to awaken, prompt, ignite, generate, uplift, stir up, energize, motivate. We need spiritual discernment to distinguish, discern between what's impressing me and what's inspiring me. If something has the power, you're allowing it to have the power to impress you when you behold the glory of a person, a woman, a man, and you're impressed, you're allowing that person to impress you, then that person will also have the power to depress you. Or oppress you. You know, the only mark I want on me is the mark of the Holy Spirit. The only press I want on me is the press of the Spirit conforming me more and more into the image of Jesus. I love Instagram. (laughs) Um, But I'm very careful to only behold people that inspire me. People that I don't... when I. When I see the things that they're posting, I'm not like, whoa, that's radical. They're amazing. No, it inspires me to be more like Christ. It doesn't impress me to be more like them. It inspires me to be more like Christ. Those are the people I'm going to allow, you know, myself to maybe take a look at. Like, wow, man, she's going for it with God. And look at her character. Look at that gentle spirit. Look at that grace. I want to be more like Christ. You know? Um, When a woman allows God to define her, believing who he says she is, she's going to be made confident, steady, strong in her faith. And then there's nothing that can talk that woman down to the mat. (laughs) there's nothing on earth, nothing sent from hell that can change her mind or tell her differently, right? Once a woman is reshaped by the master and her faith is put in the furnace and fired, (laughs) right? Making it more and more strong and genuine. Then you can call her names. She can be misunderstood. She can be rejected by people, left out, overlooked, not invited, verbally assaulted, mocked, despised, criticized. Because her roots go deep into the truth of God's word. She knows and she believes who she is in Jesus. And so she won't be moved. Her faith will have like steely faith and integrity of faith. She stands in it. Hey, she might get knocked down for a moment, but she just bounces right back into God's word, beholding the butterfly, you know, the one in whose image she's being conformed into. The core of her soul is going to have that substance and that integrity to keep her standing. Hey, her feelings might be hurt, but God calls her a believer, not a feeler. Right? That's who you are. Yeah. Many times, very often, I have to run back, bounce back into God's word and cry out like, show me who you are again, tell me who I am again, and make me believe it. 
So Heavenly Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work right now, present right here, right now, ready to transform. In this atmosphere of faith, God, I pray faith would just be overflowing. Faith would be pouring out, that it would be a thick cloud of faith, a beautiful perfume of faith in this building today, God. And that, Lord, by your power, you would transform each one of our lives, make us more like Jesus. God, wherever we need to close the door on something that has a, a the power, that's had the power, we've given the power to impress us, I pray you give us faith to close that door. May we fear you more than we fear the person who we're going to unlike today. I mean, not that we don't like them, but you know what I mean. (laughs) May we be fearless to mute those people on social media, you know, that need to be muted in our life because they're not inspiring us. They're impressing us with their image. And so, Lord, I pray, God, as as your women are going out into these um, breakout sessions, sorry, as we go to lunch, and our discussions, God, that you would stir up the conversations you want to be brought up and brought out, that you bless the prayers, God, and bless the time together in Jesus' name. Amen.